is Circle K, and welcome to the Vintage Inspiration Podcast with Circle K. Sasquatch. And Smurfette. For context, those are not our real names, and we are students in a private high school. Today's episode is about women's rights, but first, here's a quote. Think about the ancient Chinese proverb, a sister should not be important. For reference, that was a joke. We use this quote maker called Inspirobot in every episode and choose relevant quotes. Okay, so to start off this episode, women's rights is actually a very old debate that dates all the way back to Plato's Republic. So Plato suggested that women have natural capacities that are actually equal to men. However, women have still been sexualized and objectified for a long time. Yeah, like in Virginia Woolf's um, essay, Shakespeare's Sister, even though Shakespeare's sister is as interested in playwriting as he is, he gets chances and she doesn't just because she's a woman. Her parents tell her she shouldn't read or write and she should just give up on her dreams. And the one person who does give her a chance, her manager, ends up impregnating her, hinting at an underlying sexualization, even by him. And the sexualization still goes on, with examples in media, like the news and film industries. This kind of moves into the feminist movement, which is divided into four different ways. The first way, from the 19th century to the early 20th, is women's suffrage, or the women's right to vote. In this way, we see like things like the Seneca Falls Convention and various important women's suffrage activists, like Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. So the second wave of feminism happened in the 1960s, and it was the women's liberation movement, which focused on social equality. This movement was immensely helpful, but I wouldn't say that it fully closed the gap between men and women for many reasons that we'll talk about later in the episode. I agree. The third wave of feminism around 1992 focused on women's individuality and diversity. Finally, the fourth wave of feminism, which started in 2012 and is ongoing, used social media platforms to combat rape, sexual violence, and harassment. People in the news and film industry are especially influential here, with people like anchors Gretchen Carlson and Megyn Kelly, and actors and singers Oprah Winfrey, Ashley Judd, Lady Gaga, and Evan Rachel Wood, opening up about their experiences with rape or sexual violence or harassment. Now we're going to talk about misconceptions of feminism in history. The first and most prevalent misconception, wait first, before we go there, um, these are not my views, these are just random views I found on the internet that are very wrong and should be corrected. The first and most prevalent misconception is that sexism is no longer an issue. This is so evidently false. But it's infuriating how men and women on the internet still choose to believe it, even when uh, the evidence is right in front of them. There are still things like humongous wage gaps, huge double standards, sexualization, and objectification. Yeah, and some men even think that feminists hate men. What's your response to that? But like, that's not the point. Feminists don't hate men. All they're asking for is just equality between men and women. They're not saying that women should be like the superiors um, and men are the only thing in their way, so we must get rid of all men. Um, We're not gonna go around killing men. I mean, there are many mass shootings related to misogyny in the sense that some men target women um, because they don't like their views. But 
we're not gonna do feminist does not mean that we're inherently hating men and that we're gonna kill all men because we want to be superior it's just this notion is just so exaggerated why do we have to claim that feminism is a form of sexism what do you have to say about that well, first of all, what people mean when they say this is that feminists don't want equality, but rather they only care about women. This again is completely wrong. People say they're feminists because they want equality and they're focused on simply bringing women's rights to be equal to those of men. So essentially, their main focus is on women's unequal status. Okay, but then if that's true, then can't only women be feminists? No, that's like completely wrong. So anyone can be a feminist, like as long as you believe in equality between men and women, you are essentially a feminist because that's what the feminist movement is about. So the majority of feminists are women, but there are also many male feminists like Justin Trudeau, who is the prime minister of Canada. Men can support women getting equal rights as them too. Like I've seen many TikToks where on um, feminism and there are a lot of men that come out and support the movement. The last thing I see a lot on the internet is that all feminists are pro-choice. Is that true? Well, think about it logically. Feminism doesn't really have anything to do with people's religion, unlike being pro-choice versus pro-life does. And these two stances are completely different topics. So being pro-choice really has nothing to do with being a feminist. Okay, got it. But there are also a lot of double standards currently, like in pop culture, the institution of marriage and even the workplace. Yeah, like in K-pop girl bands, women have to go through strict diets and training programs to look good. Um, like so they can sell more albums and more programs and stuff and men don't really have to do that like i saw this one article where i searched up um diets that k-pop people had to go through and like there was one of them where it was literally um a woman uh, like one of the people had to eat one ice cube for the whole day and that was her diet and that's just completely unreasonable and more women have to do that than men have to do that and additionally, K-pop trainees are pretty much forced to sell their bodies for contracts, which means they also face sexual harassment. Exactly. And this kind of relates to um, prominent female artists as well, such as Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo. They receive hate for writing songs about their exes, and they're even called hysterical for staying on that drama too long and simply expressing uh, their feelings, which are completely relatable and normal. Meanwhile, men like Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber are applauded for doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and I think plastic surgery and that whole institution as itself has a lot to do with this. There's an idea of having like a really perfect body and to achieve that so many women fall into body confidence issues and they get plastic surgery to fix like the slightest thing like their nose or their lip. A lot of influencers, celebrities, supermodels, etc. they get plastic surgery, be it lip filler or gluteal augmentation. However, a lot of them refuse to accept this fact. A good example of this is Kendall Jenner. She's applied for being the most natural person in her family, but looking at pictures of her from 10 years ago and now, 
her cheekbones and lips look completely different. Honestly, I'm not hating on Kendall Jenner. It's just like she should accept the fact that she got plastic surgery if she did. Um, but people think that like since people like like people think that these celebrities are natural and that since they're good looking, all other women should look like them too. And that puts like a huge societal pressure on young women. I think this kind of goes into advertisements as well, where women are often overly sexualized and objectified as that good looking person who does everything in the house. And while both men and women have been sexualized, mainly women have to worry about it really affecting their lives and defining uh, their opportunities and lifestyles outside of that advertisement. Women are the ones that have to live in fear of sexual harassment and other um, horrible things and not men. Well, um, just to add on to that, I'm not saying that men don't face sexual harassment and they don't face rape. They do, but women, about, I think 97% of women experience um, any some form of sexual harassment and that number is much lower for men. And in addition to that, women also get dress coded so much more than men. I mean, men can literally wear anything they want to school and work, but as soon as a woman wears like a spaghetti strap or shows or like wears a crop top and it's deemed as she's showing and quote unquote indecent amount of skin um and they're immediately told to go home and change which to me makes no sense this even goes for pregnancy if women are raped or harassed society holds them and their dressing styles accountable for it not the guy that raped them and they completely ignore the the trauma that these women face like it's completely bad for their mental health and ignoring this trauma is even worse. When they get pregnant, women are ashamed for it and sometimes they even lose their jobs over it and that might not be their fault. It's not fair for them to like face this. Yeah, and this goes into the idea of educating your sons and not restricting your daughters. Um, I watched this video on YouTube about rapes in India and Um, Some men hold the viewpoint that it's the women's fault for wearing apparently provocative clothing, but their argument doesn't make sense because there's child rape, there's infant rape. Like, what have these small children done to, to provoke you into doing such a, like, hideous act? So it's not the woman, it's it's the man's fault. And some men seem to think that the men are responsible and that society needs to teach its sons to respect women and that no means no. Exactly. And specifically in Middle Eastern and Indian countries, women who fall in love are killed by their own family members because the victim has in some way brought dishonor to the family name. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but they would rather kill the person than keep the dishonor. A great example of this is in the TV show, Madam Secretary. So in one of the episodes, a girl is talking to Matt, who is the Secretary of State's speechwriter, and some kid in the plane seat um, behind them posts a video that edits their conversation into a kind of flirting manner when they're actually not flirting. And so when when the girl goes back to her parents, her dad tries to kill her, and that leads her to turn up at the American embassy pleading for refuge. 
So they eventually they end up setting up uh, an arranged marriage between her and an older guy. These sacrifices of females over males have also been applied to infants. Like historians believe that back in misogynistic Greek society, two to four of a woman's children died due to intentional neglect, with most of those neglected being female, just because the Greeks saw women as physically and mentally inferior somehow to men. Unfortunately, this kind of mentality and this kind of like thinking carries on to present day cultures with similar attitudes, including India, Afghanistan, East Asia, and Pakistan. These countries and many more follow the trend of disproportionately aborting female fetuses and neglecting female infants. I once watched a video, or I think it was a movie, where they starved the female kids just so that the male kids could get enough food. Yeah, and this continues with the idea of child marriage. Um, because due to poverty and insecurity financially and in other ways, people basically sell off their girl children to provide for their family and to get some money to keep going their family. I think the idea of arranged marriages in general is very oppressive to women. And this relates to the idea of sujigui, actually, where the samurai can try out their new swords by killing a random person in the street. So in an arranged marriage, when a woman is forced to get married to a guy that she doesn't really know, her rights to liberty and the pursuit of happiness are taken away. Similarly, in, these Japan in this Japanese practice, the victim's right to life is taken away. Sadi is another tradition that just screams that women should be subservient. When a husband dies, the idea of sadi is that if the wife is still alive, even if they're still alive, they should just throw themselves onto the pyre of the husband and burn to death. The last officially known case was in 1987 when an 18-year-old girl threw herself on her dead husband's pyre. But there's evidence that sadi, while illegal, it has continued until 2008. And widows in general are very oppressed. Like in many cultures, like the Hindu culture, widows are seen as bad omens and they aren't allowed into prayer or even they're not even allowed to touch saffron, right? So that's, that's really bad for people who have gone through a lot in their lives, especially like widows, right? They've gone through the death of someone that they've really loved. And that's really bad, like, it's really mean to treat them like that. Yeah, and there is a lot of gender discrimination in the workplace as well. Cloud Atlas is a fictional text, uh, but it still uses many of the ideas that we see in real life to teach not only its characters, but also its readers very valuable and interesting lessons. One of the chapters in Cloud Atlas is about a woman named Louisa Ray, and she's a journalist. Everyone thinks that she's just a girl and she won't actually produce good work because she's a girl. And this is why she couldn't get a better job in a better newspaper, even given her father, who was a famous reporter. She's overly sexualized by people she works with and people she interviews or just straight up talks to. Examples of sexualization include Richard Ganja, an actor who she tries to interview, but he tries to use her for sex, and her co-worker Jerry Nussbaum. However, both, however, men assert their dominance over her in other ways. 
There's Rufus Sixsmith and Joe Napier, both of whom act as fatherly figures to her and try to take over her life in that way. And even the little kid who lives next door ends up being a dominating force in her life, where she has to think ahead for all of these people while they only think of themselves. For reference, um, if you have not read Cloud Atlas, we're sorry for the um, we're sorry for the spoilers, but it's a really good book. You guys should read it. Yeah, and um, another aspect, as sorry, aspect to workplace discrimination of women is the wage gap. For every dollar a man makes, a white woman will make 82 cents, and a black woman would make 63 cents. And that is a huge gap um, when you think about it, because a hun- like so 100 cents minus 82 cents is 18 cents. So a white woman makes 18 less cents. So for every $100 a man makes, a woman makes $18 less and a black woman makes even less than that. And that's a huge gap that some congressional legislating is trying to close, but the momentum is too slow to actually do anything. Yeah, and like I said earlier, another aspect to workplace discrimination is like if women are or seem to be pregnant. If a woman is pregnant, their bosses think they're of less use and they typically fire women when they're pregnant because apparently like, their idea is that when women are pregnant, they're um, or when women have children, their like life momentum slows down in some way. And because of that, they are of less use or they shouldn't like they shouldn't be allowed to work or get promotions because they have to spend a lot of time on their new kid. And that's totally unfair to women, right? They should be able to have a personal life and a work life, not just not one or the other. They should be able to work while raising their kid, not um, not work or raising their kid, right? And so there's like a complete misconception here. And I think that this kind of goes back to the days where women were like kept at home under the ideas of spheres of domesticity. And so while it has changed a tiny bit, the only difference is that once women become pregnant or like have children, then they're expected to go back into the spheres of domesticity, not from the start. But I think it's really similar to back then. Yeah, and like fathers don't really have to um, um, sacrifice their career. Only women are made to choose. Men are not really made to choose between their career and their home life, which that needs to change. Exactly. About the workplace again, I watched this TED talk by Robin Hauser, and she basically argues that society holds an unconscious bias against the female gender in the workplace, and no one is immune to this. So women are seen as either competent or likable, but never both. She argues specifically that while words like intense, high octane, aggressive, and eager are considered compliments for men, they're not right, they don't fit for women. She notes that society expects women to be likable or to be pleasant, favorable, or attractive. But when a woman is competent or active in her job, she's often perceived to be unlikable just because she comes off as strong. That's it for today's episode, and thank you for listening to the Vintage Inspiration Podcast.